Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Mohindra. In the first episode, he talked about his origin story and how he got into IT and also moving to systems engineering and networks and looking at those areas to find applications in the commercial world. In terms of roles, getting into creating software products, as well as switching to project and program management roles, and he stressed the need to understand the nuances of project management. In this episode, the conversation continues about the challenges that he faced in balancing the need for working with details as well as with abstractions. We continue touching upon other topics such as how coaching and observations of people helped him shape his own ideas as well as his own styles of working. And... uh, what his personal philosophy is in working under contractual constraints, whether it is of cost or of timelines, and how agile approaches are suitable to work more effectively under dynamic scope conditions. We then talk about how he developed an interest in philosophy and constant learning, and what he would like to do with the ancient wisdom in applying them to day-to-day context. And finally, His thoughts and tips on career-related questions for both entry-level people as well as mid-career professionals. Listen on. Yeah, I don't know whether uh, the next question is related to project management, but uh, when I look at uh, what you mentioned as something that you like, that is interacting with customers, and understanding their problems and so on. Uh, When you hear an expectation, either as a requirement or as a challenge that they are facing, and then come up with an approach or a solution to address that, and then you have, let's say, a project plan to realize that. So there is a level of abstraction that you need to be comfortable with, as well as attention to detail. Since you also mentioned that uh, your manager pointed out that you are a person with a lot of attention to detail, how comfortable was it working in ambiguity? To be honest, that was was one of my main problems, actually. And I think uh, you again hit the bullseye. Uh, That was one one of the problems. For me, life was more black and white as opposed to gray. It was, you know, either zero or one. And that's how I was sort of mostly looking at things at that point in time. So when you are sort of uh, in front of the customer, again, one of the things that again I, I learned from some of my seniors and managers is that uh, requirements. So let's, let's, let's look at, let's use this word requirements, not from a software development lifecycle perspective, not from an SDLC perspective, but in its generic input, right? 
So when you look at requirements, and typically when they come from customers, you've got to look at it in a in a very progressive sense, in the sense that requirements elicitation happens progressively. You don't have a bang, you know, you meet the customer and suddenly you have clarity, you know, he has exactly spelt out what it is. And even if the customer pretends that he absolutely understands the requirement and he, you know, he has put out the requirement to you and you sort of nod your head and say, I got it. Go back, check, because probably, um, you know, if you don't check, you know, you're, you're missing something which the customer has not told you as a requirement, but which can actually bite you. We call this as implicit requirements, which can actually come and bite you later in the, you know, in, in, in the game. And there have been many, many instances and people often get defensive about, uh, no, 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 you know, this is not something that you mentioned, or this is not required, you know. And we had, you know, those days back in the day, you know, we used to have V3 waterfall, you know, approaches, V3, V4, and it was heavy focus on documentation and actually transferring the pressure or the risk back onto the customer to say, if this is what you told me, this is what I'm going to do, right? And if you didn't tell me, then, you know, you won't get it kind of thing. Today's times are very different in an agile context. We'll come to that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, we used to we used to often pay a price in terms of not understanding some of those implicit requirements. And the reason we were not, we were not doing a good job of it, or I was not doing a good job of it, was that I was not picking up implicit requirements from customers. It was more like black and white, zeros or ones. And that's where, you know, the concept of progressive elicitation of the requirement or pro progressive elicitation of the problem statement became very important. It, it came through uh, coaching. It came, you know, I, I got over a period of time, I got better with uh, some amount of coaching, but through a lot of observation by seeing people who actually did a very good job of it. This is one important aspect that I'll share with you. The second aspect is, see, the life of a consultant especially when you're client-facing, is very difficult because you've got to really switch roles. If you were my client and I'm meeting you for the first time, the thought process that is going on in your mind as a client is that this guy who's sitting in front of me, why should I trust him? I have no data points. I mean, I have his CV, I have his profile, whatever, etc. But that's a piece of paper. And now this guy has presented himself before me and I can see that he has two eyes and two ears and one nose. But beyond that, how can I really trust him? Is the single most important thought process going on in your mind as a client? And this is where, again, I, I give another analogy, the analogy of a doctor. Supposing you're going to a doctor, would you be comfortable with a doctor who has got two or three lines of qualifications, MD, DM, FRCS, blah, 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 versus a doctor who, who basically asks you, what is your problem, you know, makes you talk and then examines you physically understands uh, both your physical pain as well as the mental pain and most importantly gives you the confidence that uh, you will be okay right who will you be comfortable with in my opinion you will be comfortable with the latter so i think as a consultant before you establish credibility before you get into a relationship with your client you've got to understand the doctor syndrome and ensure that you've got to first cross the initial hurdle of winning the confidence of your client. Once you have that, then the other aspects of how do you manage requirements, how do you manage the relationship, how do you manage the commercials, blah, 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 they all fall in place. But if you jump the gun and straight get into, you know, 
very tactical maneuvers and your customer may be leading you there because he's in a hurry and if you actually just blindly follow suit then uh, in my view you know eventually you will dig a hole for yourself and then you know sort of reflect on thinking that you could have done some of these things better so again long run answer but two two aspects to it i think the first one is in our industry when you work with clients it's never black and white and uh, the, the, the earlier you realize the better it is and uh, the second aspect is winning the customer's confidence and credibility initially is more important than doing things right so if you prioritize this about winning the confidence and you also talked about the implicit requirements and the need to understand them is there a possibility of these becoming scope creeps that if you are working under a let's say a fixed price kind of a contract or something that is bound by deadlines and so on could we be shooting ourselves in our in the foot yeah possible possible so here's my so this is my personal philosophy two things when you look at contracts time and material versus fixed price and people talk about hybrid also in my view hybrid is just for sake of convenience but in puritanical terms it is time and material or fixed price in my view they have nothing to do with the project they are basically commercial ways of engaging on an uh, you know engaging with the client and between between the service provider and the client you know you choose a particular way depending upon what works for both the parties it has got very little in my view with the actual constructs of a project i mean there is some relevance but not majorly in my view given a choice most customers would like to do fixed price irrespective of the complexity of the project and that is why i would say it is more a commercial risk management kind of an arrangement as opposed to being intrinsically linked to the nature of the project and and that brings in certain and therefore you know if it is a fixed price engagement then you know um it brings in certain amount of due diligence responsibility and accountability right from the word go in fact smaller the project shorter the project duration greater the risk if it is a fixed price engagement right so it it brings in certain behavioral changes from in you right from the word go that's number one number two chimguru is i have never come across a project in my life whether it was on the pure pure technical systems area or whether it was on the application side i have never come on across a project where there hasn't been a scope creep there can be some semantics going around it in terms of no 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 you did not understand the requirement properly and then sort of blame one of the two right i'm using the word blame in a very loose way uh, pardon me for it but you know sort of shift the responsibility because the requirements were not understood properly but either ways there is always a realization that there has been some scope creep so in my view the scope management aspect of it has always been uh, more skewed towards or uh, you know creeping on the on the extra side and not really you know you know with regard to sort of being contained within a framework which is where a lot of these uh, life cycles that we used to practice about 10 years ago or even 15 years ago in today's days and, and times they they seem to have some shortcomings very glaring shortcomings which is where you can debate there is never a perfect life cycle you know but then in today's times whether this is agile 
or whether it is waterfall you know this is where the debate comes in and clearly the choices are um, you know today the, the whole industry is tending towards agile in my view there is a single most reason why it is it is in favor of agile is that agile by design realizes that scope is always a moving target and provides you a certain systematic way to address those issues as opposed to earlier life cycles which in my hind you know in hindsight i could say where they were always in the case of denial to say that if you manage requirements your project will be okay but that was that was in my view a lot of fud actually it did not happen that way. yeah i think that puts the whole approach of agile and also handling this ambiguity or the evolving needs particularly to meet the customers also get clarity in terms of what they need and right. that's a very nice way of putting it uh the related question is uh, in doing this i'm assuming that uh, a person has to wear both a technical hat and a managerial hat right. when it comes to a career choice of staying technical or becoming a manager uh you had also mentioned that kind of a transition and some of the challenges associated with that kind of a transition so is there a framework or some kind of thumb rules that an individual can use to first identify what is more natural to them yeah. and see whether either they can choose a particular track or shift from one to the other and an extended question is once you shift is that a permanent shift or can you come back to be i think that's that's a brilliant question actually uh, so this is something that i've been thinking too and uh, in my mind i'm trying to see whether i can actually put together some kind of a i don't want to use the word cookbook or a something like that. it's not a cookbook but at least some kind of a starter kit for people to bridge the technology and business chasm when i say this bridge the technology and business chasm i am not favoring one against the other i'm not saying that eventually everyone becomes a manager i'm not saying that i'm also not saying that once you choose a technology career you can't really make the switch right i'm not saying either of this because in my view there is so much of diffusion between technology and business that the fact that today there is a chasm between the two in itself is a problem for me and i think the more you know you do to basically diffuse this chasm the better it is for an individual the better it is for the business right and i'm trying to basically put together and i'm actually doing a bit of research to see and i'm sure there is a lot of material out there for sure but then something that i can pick which is relevant simple to understand and execute and whether we can actually put together some kind of a starter kit which will help bridge this chasm between business and technology that's point number 1 point number 2 i think you mentioned something which is very very insightful you said that based on an individuals you know based on how an individual is wired right the individual could have certain affinities it could have certain strengths and so it could have certain weaknesses Now, whether it is on the technology side or the business side it doesn't these are not in silos if i have a certain technical strength and if i'm able to actually link it to a business situation right that it, it actually be, becomes an opportunity 
on the other hand if they, if i have a certain weakness on the business side for example if i don't understand pnl or i have often seen techies saying no 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 i don't want to manage people i don't want to write performance evaluation right i don't want to get into any of those dirty discussions right fair enough now for lack of a better term let me use the word weakness it's not a weakness actually it's a certain quality of that individual that the individual doesn't want to get into man management on a day to day basis right but then there could be certain aspects that this person could have which may actually relate to technology to say i mean if i went to this particular client i saw this uh, is there a solution or is there some kind of a way to particular solve this particular problem and can i actually engage with someone on the technical side or at least kick off a certain discussion that's a strength so by my narration you can actually see that these are not silos technology and business they are not silos in fact there are certain aspects in each of this could actually you know transgress and it's you know once we understand some of those things i and i think if you provide certain avenues for people to self evaluate themselves and come up with their strengths which can actually bridge the two then actually we are enabling that person for more success and through that we are actually enabling the organization for more success right unfortunately the way hr has gone about doing this because i think it helps them in certain ways i don't blame them for it it helps them in many ways they have basically tried to you know sort of put this in certain silos because it had certain purpose and somehow things have continued since then and we have not really realized as business leaders we have not realized as to you know some of the damages that it can actually cause uh, and and you know sort of create the diffusion between the two that is all i would say just to sort of summarize i think the aspect of individual qualities that you touched upon i think is very important in bridging the technology and business chasm and the even more fundamental issue aspect in my mind is that there is no chasm it needs to be diffused and actually brought together um, and third aspect is i i am very curious to see whether i can help put certain things together not as a cookbook but at least as a starter kit for people to think and if they want to make start that journey it actually gives them a certain method to get that journey started yeah that is very nice uh, mohan and um it is probably also tending a little towards maybe some philosophical aspects that one needs to consider and i thought that would be a good segue to understand some things that you mentioned in the beginning about your interest in ancient wisdom and philosophy and stuff like that so how do you first uh how did you get an interest in that and second many times when we talk about philosophers we say they are no. eternal people who pursue something so is there a goal that you have of what you want to learn uh i don't want to give it a religious color but if you really look at it from a spiritual perspective i think the quest for every human being is uh, to realize oneself to understand to understand um who you are right uh, that i think is uh, now why do i say this not because i have realized it in fact i'm far away from it but this is what i have read this is what i have heard i have heard learned people say 
and over a period of time when i when i have had my moments of very very profound deep peace and satisfaction where i felt um, you know I've, i've had moments where you don't feel fear you don't feel uh, an obligation to anybody you don't feel uh, you know you are by yourself right in those very brief moments when you achieve that that kind of state of mind uh, it always it always feels that you you need to experience that even more and i think that probably leads you to realize as to who you are right so i think so in my so just to sort of summarize i think maybe if you if uh, you know why it it could be debatable at least in my mind if the objective of the ultimate purpose of human life was to basically realize yourself i also realized through this journey that there were multiple ways to get there uh, as many many masters have shown uh, the way but my my thought process and i'm i'm taking some baby steps here i have a very very long way to go and i don't know whether one birth is enough for that but at least you know in the context of what i have done and what i would like to do is some of the aspects of ancient wisdom you call it as nuggets or principles or tenets or whatever they are these are not beliefs these are aspects which are more behavioral which are more transactional which can be brought to you know life in day to day conduct right how you how do you deal with stress how do you deal with uh, a person who is disinterested in work how do you deal with conflicts uh, which could actually tear your project you know into shreds because uh, the customer has you know while he has signed up he has gone in a different direction you are struggling with the baby uh, in the bathtub and your team members are totally disengaged right i mean these aspects hit you in life on a day to day basis and when you when you look at ancient wisdom it gives you uh some very clear insights and brings a certain element of calmness in thought process and execution as to how you go about it and the confidence that you derive out of this is that it, since this is ancient wisdom and anecdotally i don't know through puranas or through stories or whatever if it has worked in certain situations you basically gain some confidence as to if it has worked then maybe it will work now and why don't i try certain aspects of it so in my professional life at least in the last 10 years i have had uh, i have consciously tried to you know uh, look at some of these things and bring it to bear in day to day life and i have heard made, made some mistakes in the process uh, one of the mistakes you need to avoid is that you should never give it a religious color because it is not meant to be so these are basically principles these are tenets these are practices which can work irrespective of race language creed caste geographies etc these are timeless uh, tenets and principles and if you can actually bring some of those things in 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 small measures to very specific situations and put it to action in the right way then i think the results invariably i'm not saying always but invariably they they have the desired effect so that is why that is how my faith in ancient wisdom to solve contemporary problems comes from and i think uh, i'm just scratching the surface of it there's still a long way to go 
but in my limited experience so far, uh, I, 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 I'm actually more than convinced that there is a lot to dip into for us into ancient wisdom. And ancient wisdom can be across cultures, not just uh, Indian culture, but across cultures uh, to solve contemporary management and business problems. Yeah, that sounds really deep. But I'm sure there is so much that we can dive into and then take from there. So even if we don't go back to the ancient times, at least from your own wisdom that you've gathered over time, what would be some nuggets that would be useful for two segments of our listeners? Usually we like to ask about what somebody who's considering a career in IT can do or should do. And similarly, somebody who is going through possibly an equivalent of a midlife crisis or a mid-career crisis on do I continue with whatever I'm doing, whether it is managerial or technical, uh, what would be some nuggets that you can share from your wisdom? I think, uh, you know, if I, if I correlate to this, my, my own uh, uh, trajectory, uh, life trajectory, I would say if you're an early career individual who is trying to make inroads into the IT slash software slash services industry, uh, I think it's very important to have uh, a mentor at that stage. The only who came in my life, uh, he actually was an only in my life. You know, he he, he brought in some light, uh, you know, you know, to my uh, life. And I think yeah, you only only in Tamil is light, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. So, um, I think early in the career is where I think we need uh, very directive mentorship. Uh, Somewhat, somewhat of a directive mentorship where a person could actually come back and say, I think you're better off trying this as opposed to that. Right? that that's, what, that, that's what I mean by directive mentorship. And I think um, many, many of uh, the youngsters, uh, just as we went through, uh, may not even have the maturity to think about their mentors. But I think whether as a family, as friends, or even as teachers, education institutions and teachers, I think if we can bring these aspects of mentorship and inculcate that consciously, then I think it will help uh, people who are sort of early career IT industry uh, people um, through their initial phases of life. You know, not that they will they won't make mistakes, but when they make mistakes, how to pick themselves up uh, and not say make the same mistake, and also understand why those mistakes happen in the first place. Kind of thing. I think that's very important. I think if I were to pick on one for early career, that is the one I would pick. Pick directive mentors uh, in the initial phase of your life. Uh, there is no point in having a mentor to say, well, you know, the, you know, this is the large horizon, this is the canvas, and then, you know, pick your choice. You know, for an earlier career person, that doesn't make much sense, in my view. When you are sort of midlife, and, you know, you've had some, if you tasted some amount of success, you've also had your a share of uh, weaknesses and you know failures and you're not very wiser and then most people in midlife they also have to balance a lot of family aspects uh, as part of their professional life certainly the dimension changes and that is by far the most complex phase of your life the most challenging in my view so at that point in time i think that is where 
certain aspects of wellness you know while mentorship and all of those things should happen it's always good to have a mentor mentorship and all of those things happen but that is the phase of life the midlife phase is where i think a lot of self control and a lot of self management needs to get into play and i think this is where wellness comes into play i think uh, in terms of how wellness can help mid life as crisis or opportunities whichever you look at it right wellness i think comes into play a, a lot more than anything else i think that is that is i think the most important thing that makes a difference once you start understanding yourself then you have a better appreciation of your environment which is your immediate family spouse children your parents your immediate circle of relatives friends etc once that self awareness happens then you start understanding what are the dynamics going on then you sort of extend that to your workplace you understand what's happening with your business what's happening with your project what's happening with your customers what's happening with your teammates right and i think what enables you to have that better awareness and sort of sensitivity to things that are proximate to you is that aspect of wellness so just to sort of summarize someone early in life it career directive mentorship is something that i would highly recommend but as as we sort of progress through life we should start moving towards self awareness and i think whether it is individuals or teams or organizations if they can invest on providing avenues for wellness creating that wellness for their employees i think it will go a long way uh, in protecting their business interests wonderfully put man yeah with that uh, we are almost out of time so i <laughs> hope to continue to mine these nuggets of wisdom in our future interactions thanks for taking the time sharing your story with our listeners i must thank you shiv first of all for having me on this one but secondly i think for the very thoughtful questions that you brought in which uh, which i think uh, they are they are quite profound and uh, i can say that they are steeped in a lot of your own experience and uh, all i can say that you must be a very wise man to ask those questions i think i'm just curious <laughs> just know that i don't know a lot <laughs> thanks mohan thank you thanks shiv We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.